Hey everyone, so I recently did an interview with the guys from the Free Thought Profit podcast, and I apologize for the voice. I finally succumbed to that cold that's been going around. The guys were good enough to have me on their show, and right on the heels of that, they were also good enough to come on and record episode 270 of The Week in Doubt with me. The bad news is that there were some technical issues on my end. I was recording on my laptop and using uh, a new mic, or a mic I bought about a year ago but haven't really tested yet, and unfortunately, my volume levels are very, very low. So I had to take the file into iMovie, isolate all my parts, and pump up the volume, as they say, to about 400%, um, just so I'm audible enough. But I think it's more important that you can hear what they have to say, uh, since they were my guests and they're the ones supplying the answers. To be honest, this could probably go through one more round of editing, but I'm trying to get out to you guys as quickly as possible. It's now Monday, and I usually like to get a new episode out by at least Sunday. And you might catch the tail end of a conversation I called where we're kind of geeking out about 70s Japanese robot shows. And uh, so you might catch a little bit about uh, Transor Z, etc. And that goes into uh, another geek out conversation about uh, Conan and the Lord of the Rings, etc. <laughs> Hopefully you guys don't mind. I'm sure at least some of you guys out there will probably appreciate that stuff. Um, so once again, I, I was with John Hamill and Seamus from the Free Thought Profit podcast. And uh, so please check out their podcast and their YouTube channel. And actually, I'm uploading the video version of this to YouTube now. Uh, I actually recorded a Skype video call I did with them. But without further ado, okay, here we go. Hey everyone, I'm <laughs> Phil Albertelli. And this is the Weekend Out episode 270, very special episode, an actual interview episode, or maybe more of a conversation. Haven't brought you guys one of those in a while. Um, and I have from the Free Thought Profit podcast. I didn't butcher that, did I? No. Nope. I have John Hamill all the way from Ireland, and I have Shame. You just go by Seamus. Yeah. The one and only Seamus. Uh, which is uh, a conspicuously Irish name as well. <laughs> and uh, I just finished recording an episode of their podcast with them. They're very gracious to have me on. We talked about nuclear war and Satanism. And uh, Krampus is a very <laughs> it's a very dark yet uh, festive mm. and enjoyable uh, chat. And I hate the word chat. Don't know why I just used it. Uh, I was drinking rum and coke. From my Krampus mug during that whole recording. So, well, we've got a national stereotype to live up yeah. to, so oh, yeah. we're on Mr. Jameson's finest podcast, Juice. That's it. And so, uh, judging by your name, Seamus, I guess all of us are at least part Irish here. Yes, yeah, I, I'm actually Irish. Unfortunately, I'm, unfortunately, I'm just stuck in America. So. <laughs> I, I know the feeling. Yeah. Um, let's see. So... Uh, I was going to do some shout-outs and corrections, but uh, screw that. So, uh, <laughs> it's more important talking to you guys, I think. So, 
I'll kind of turn the tables. You guys had me give you a little bit of my bio, sure. how I came to be an atheist, uh, the nature of my upbringing was it religious. Um, John, you want to go first? Uh, sure, yeah. Um, I think my background isn't all that different from yours, Phil. Um, my parents were both, uh, both remain uh, very devout Catholics. Uh, I'm the eldest of five children, so my four siblings, I think, um, are both, uh, well, are all uh, still Catholics of uh, various levels of piousness and devoutness. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think um, the the reason that I moved away from uh, the faith was really I just stopped believing that it was true. I had um, uh, lots of doubts about different aspects of the doctrine, and like so many atheists, I eventually made my mind up when uh, I read the Bible. So uh, it was. Um, I know he wasn't the first to say it, but it was, he was the first that I heard saying it. Uh, it was an interview with Pendulet, and he was talking about his atheism, and he recommended to anyone who was having doubts at a time when I was having doubts that the best thing to do is just go and pick up the, the Bible and read it. Um, I was a little lazy. I just uh, read the four Gospels, and that was enough. Uh, so, yeah, I, f I found it to be... Um, mostly uh, dull and boring and in various parts incredibly immoral. Uh, so yeah, that's that's not really consistent with what you would expect uh, for the, the, the only book in the world to be authored by the uh, omniscient, omnipotent creator of the universe. Uh, it was one of the shittiest books that I've ever read. So, uh, yeah, that, that's what finally made my mind up. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I didn't want to interrupt you, but I was going to say, yeah, Penn Jillette came to mind. Yeah, if uh, you want to make someone an atheist, have them read the Bible. Or whatever. Yes, I think uh, Mark Twain has a similar quote, and uh, yeah, I think you're right. uh, Isaac Asimov has a similar quote, but... Um, well, maybe I'm uh, a bit of a Philistine, but I like Pendulet, so uh, <laughs> he was the first guy that I heard said. <laughs> I've tried to read the entirety of the Bible. I think I had to read the New Testament when I was you know, in Sunday school, CCD. Mm. But I've tried to start from the beginning of the Old Testament, go all the way. I, I end up cheating as soon as I come up to the uh, the genealogies. So-and-so, oh, yeah. so-and-so begets. And yeah, yeah. Dry as burnt toast, man. That is horrible. I always For sure. skipping beyond that. Um, okay, but uh, Seamus, uh, how about you? Uh, how did you come to be an atheist? What kind of upbringing did you have religion-wise? Well, uh, both my parents were very much, uh, you know, stuck in the whole you have to go to church thing growing up. Uh, for the most extreme reasons that I'm not going to get into, they both left the church but still held on to their own faith. And decided whenever that uh, they were going to have children, they are just kind of uh, probably the most liberal move by them as far as that goes uh, to kind of let the kids pick. Uh, definitely, gave them, uh, definitely gave us, that is, the uh, the golden rule and the, the very watered-down version of, you know, you know, God created Adam and Eve, Noah's Ark, the golden rule of Jesus, blah, blah, blah. That was pretty much what we had. Never was forced to go to church, never went to a church. But, uh, you know, always knew that there was somebody, you know, a sky daddy above us to keep an eye on us and all that stuff. 
once I got older, I started, you know, kind of decided, well, this was something I needed to do, right? You know, I needed to get in touch with those things and find out, you know, it was also kind of like why mom and dad left the church kind of thing. Uh, got married, first mistake. Um, and, and <laughs> yeah, uh, we decided we were going to, uh, you know, both of us had a kind of similar backgrounds on that. And we were both going to try to decide, well, let's go to a church. So we have a foundation because we wanted a family. And uh, we want to, we became members of the Church of Christ, which I don't know if you're familiar with the Church of Christ, but it's like uh, slightly a tear down or two from Westboro. So, yeah, not, not Catholicism, very Protestant, uh, but very uh, – this is our church. If you don't believe our church, you go to hell. You know, a lot of exactly, yeah, yeah. Uh, but we won't call them fags here, although wink, wink, nudge, nudge, right? You know, say no more, right? Uh, so we had a bit of that. Uh, so I went along for the ride, you know, drank the Kool Aid for a long time. Uh, then I died. Uh, I uh, was, I literally died on in, in the hospital. That's I'm, I'm doing the short version. Trust me, that's a whole other story. Uh, basically, when I died, I didn't see God. Didn't see, uh, yeah, I didn't see the white light. Didn't see a lot of things that you expect. Uh, no card with a number on it up on top of the. Uh... No, uh, basically it was like two, two linear planes, and I mean geometrically linear planes running into each other. Uh, kind of, kind of very uh, like imagine if the uh, 2001 uh, Kubrick film was in black and white. I guess oh, wow. okay. that little, yeah, I don't, I that's, but instead of going this way, this way. Uh, I, I, there's a better way to explain it, but that's, again, I'm making the short version. Uh, so anyways, didn't see God kind of questioned myself after that. I went back and forth with my faith and actually believe it or not, it was whenever I really decided, well, I need to, to devout myself to God and really be stronger in my faith and, you know, really believe this shit and, you know, read it and all that stuff is when it started to really fall apart. Because it just doesn't hold water when you look at it hard. Uh, it started falling apart. Went through. I was going through divorce. That helped too, in ways. Um, anyways, uh, again, like John, read the Bible, and uh, whenever I'm reading the Bible, I came across a film called uh, "The Guy That Wasn't There," which uh, featured uh, the mythicists that we know, uh, Price and Carrier. I don't think Fitzgerald was in that film. Uh, but their, their arguments really rang true with me being, you know, a lover of history and stuff. And I was like, so if there's no Jesus, there was never a Jesus, then this book really falls apart, not even just on its own merits, which it was literally before my eyes. You know, when you're trying to read it, like he said, you know, like John said, you know, whenever you're like objectively reading it, it just falls apart. So historically if there's nothing to back that up then again what is there and that pretty much did it for me uh i uh and i think uh, from talking to you uh in the previous episode uh started becoming a little bit of a seeker uh i've actually been more of a seeker now but that's another uh topic uh, uh objectively seeking uh because i wasn't allowed to let myself look at those things right because I was, you know, uh, a child of God, so I, I couldn't I couldn't let those things, you know, uh, come into my life. Uh, but I did. Uh, I, I 
did a very scary view of things uh, once I got out and let myself do it and said, yeah, this is, there's nothing else. There's this, just us. So that, that's the short version. Okay. I'll shut up. Well, no, that's, uh, I mean, that's fascinating. And the thing about you mentioned uh, the God who wasn't there. Yeah. It's funny. I, I sometimes about how ironically, I think one of the things that eroded my faith was watching religious documentaries Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, not like documentaries that were meant to bash religion, but I think that were kind of like celebrating religion and approaching it from a scholarly viewpoint. I think two of them are uh, Frontline had a great special called From Jesus to Christ, The First Christians. Um, it was like a four-part series. And then there was another one called Christianity, The First Thousand Years, followed by The Second Thousand Years. And they had people like Dominic Crossan and people like that yeah. in there. And um, I think I used to watch Mysteries of the Bible, too. I remember specifically they had a yes. special called Who Wrote the Bible? And they talk about, it's always stuck with me, the phenomenon of doublets. How there's parts in the Old Testament where the same story is repeated twice, <laughs> but the facts differ like the amount right. of animals uh, allowed on the ark, um, the order of creation. Uh, mm. And, you know, sometimes these doublets are right on the heels of the other one. It's almost like you didn't know how to decide which version to put in so one's kind of sloppily on the heels of the other one. Yeah. And some people will try to harmonize that, you know, apologists, etc. But, yeah, and so I think it was learning that the Bible was this kind of stitched together anthology written by different people at different times and there were different versions of the same story and then some of these stories may have been based on earlier Mesopotamian stories like you know the um, you have the Gilgamesh yeah exactly the epic yeah. Gilgamesh um, and uh, the Atrahasis and that type of thing yeah so I mean, it's so fascinating. I love it. Like, not a day in my life probably goes by that I don't think about religion. And, 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 and yet, I just, I can't believe literally, but I still find some of these stories incredibly fascinating. And I look at them the same way I might look at mythology. But I think when they really become ugly is when you try to, or you insist on taking them literally. If you try mm -hmm. to take the story of Noah literally, or Adam and Eve, you run into problems immediately you have god condemning all of humanity because two people ate the wrong kind of fruit or you have god changing his mind about creation so causing a global genocide and it just it doesn't hold together really um, which is what every christian does nowadays <laughs> yeah it's kind of a cafeteria catholic approach uh, yeah try to decide which part you're going to take figuratively which part's supposed to be learned. then even uh jesus when you try to wrap your head around that one it's like Ugh. god gave himself to himself as a sacrifice uh to get rid of original sin which i guess he could have somehow prevented or uh, it's just uh, it gets very convoluted that's true yeah and uh, i think you're right also phil in relation to literalism um I have been chastised more than once by a Catholic priest uh, for interpreting the New Testament literally. I think the last thing I was talking to him about was um, 
uh, fig trees. Jesus hates fig trees. He cursed a fig tree seemingly for no reason. Uh, and the, the priest uh, admonished me to say, well, it wasn't a literal fig tree. Of course, you're, you're, interpret- you're interpreting this very important story much too literally, and you shouldn't be such a biblical literalist. Uh, but of course, they're all literalists when they decide to be. Um, you know, you could say, uh, this is my body, this is my blood. Uh, it's pretty weird to take that bit literally, but of course the Catholic priest insists on taking that bit very literally. If you yank that last linchpin out, the whole thing falls apart. The whole car That's falls right. apart, you know? So That's right. To, I mean, everything, um, everything hangs on, no pun intended, the crucifixion. But uh, <laughs> yeah, if, you, if you yank, that, uh, you yank that, that one last linchpin out, the whole... So it's, they feel kind of comfortable to sign that whatever offends their moral sensibilities or whatever's not in keeping with the modern viewpoint, that can be uh, figured. But Jesus, uh-huh. you know, that's got to be literal. And that reminds me of, uh, I mean, he's infamous, uh, you know, uh, William Lane Craig. But yes. there's a uh, debate between William Lane Craig and this, I think he's a might be an Episcopalian, but uh, a bishop named Shelby Spong. And I read a book of his when I was a kid, ironically given to me as a gift by a very devout Catholic friend called Liberating the Gospels. And he takes a very figurative and symbolic approach to the New Testament. And he thinks that almost everything in the New Testament is basically an echo of Old Testament stories. It's all symbolic. And um, what the heck was I going to say? So uh, it's, it's wild seeing him debate William Lane Craig because this guy, Shelby Spong, doesn't even believe that there was a physical resurrection. That's how figurative his approach is. Uh-huh. Yet he still wears the white collar. And I'm, at some point, I'm like, what, yeah, the hell, yeah. what the hell are you even <laughs> believing? And I mean, I'm glad <laughs> they hear this kind of... That's funny when you, you have, uh, have mixed feelings about kind of wishy-washy cafeteria Christians. Because on the one hand, I'm glad they're talking sense, and I'm glad they're not believing in all this superstitious stuff, literally. But after a point, it's like, what are you even hanging your hat on anymore? Why are you even yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I um, I met William Lane Craig once. He did a debate in uh, in Ireland with my friend Michael Nugent, who's the the chairperson of Atheist Ireland. Um, so uh, yeah, I think a lot a lot of his arguments are disingenuous. He brings up the Kalam argument a lot. Uh, yeah, and he uh, he knows the way he he describes that um, isn't entirely true, and how he represents some of the papers that he he discusses. But he, he's a very polished performer as sure. a debater. He's done it quite a few times. And um, the thing I always remember about that debate was in the Q and A afterwards. Uh, someone asked him a question about uh, aliens. What What if we discover intelligent life somewhere else in the universe sometime? Uh, wouldn't that be? Um, uh, wouldn't that kind of erode your faith that uh, the universe is so that we could be created in the image of God and all that stuff? Um, and he basically argued, no, that would be okay because Jesus could get crucified on those planets too. Uh, 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 yes, uh, we we had uh, then a ten-minute discussion about how many planets Jesus has potentially been crucified on, uh, which is just bizarre. Weird. 
Yeah, I, I space Christians. Yeah, indeed. I I will say uh, that uh, Nugent slayed William Lane Craig probably harder than Christopher Hitchens, which is saying a lot for me. Trust me, as a big Hitchens fan, yeah, uh, he really he uh, just very tactfully took him down uh, uh, for a uh, New Englander. Uh, even though you're not a Patriots fan, uh, it was very much Brady. It was very much Brady on his own defense, because nice, nice. I've seen it happen to my Pittsburgh Steelers a thousand fucking times. So yeah, just saying. Yeah, and I think uh, well, not that I'm irritable about it at all, but yeah. Like I won't, I won't curb stomp William Lane Craig. You know, I won't really go <laughs> to town on him. I try to be a nice guy, but yeah, I think he is. I think. He is intellectually dishonest. Whether or not he knows Absolutely. how intellectually dishonest he's being, I don't know. I feel like he really does view himself as a champion of the faith. And I think he is a believer, mm. but somehow justifies yeah. u- using uh, sophistry and all of these kind of rhetorical tools to try to reach the end goal, even if it's... Yes, I quite agree. And he's, uh, he's extremely popular um, within the faith community. His books sell extremely well. I know at the bait that I was at, um, the vast majority of people who turned up turned up to see William Lane Craig. Um, so he's an incredibly popular guy. Uh, the, the other uh, religious apologist um, who I'm learning something about recently is Ben Shapiro. Uh-huh. Uh, he was on... Uh, he was on Sam Harris's podcast yeah. recently. Uh, you didn't catch that? No, well, I was going to say, you know, I'll probably say screw the, uh, the news story. I was talking about how we might rip on news stories, because this is something <laughs> I want to talk to you guys about, actually. Okay. A good friend and uh, listener of the show, and um, I say that all the time about my listeners. I call them friends and listeners, and I sincerely mean that about the listeners who reach out to me, constantly give me feedback, interact with me. I do feel like they're really my friends, and one of them... Um, uh, Nathan Randall Shapiro uh, just made it known to me. I, I mean, I stopped listening to uh, Sam's Waking Up podcast. Uh, I was maybe fell like three episodes behind. And he said, did you see the debate between Sam Harris and Ben Shapiro on religion? And I'm like, what? Really? So I went and uh, listened to it. And, and Ben Shapiro has a huge YouTube presence. And I'm a oh, yeah. YouTube mm-hmm. junkie. So, I, I mean, he's infinite. I know who Ben Shapiro is. And um, I thought, my impression was, was that both Weinstein and um, Shapiro a couple of times knocked Harris back on his heels or cornered him, but not because they were factually right, but because of the kind of, um, the aggressive nature of their debating style or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I think Sam Harris is a laid-back, pretty nice, like mild-mannered guy. Not yeah, yeah. All that. But, uh, yeah, I, so I thought there was a few times when they kind of made him look bad, but not because they were right. They were just more aggressive and forceful yeah. with their arguments. <clears throat> but I didn't really hear either of them make any good arguments uh, for religion, I don't think. Yeah, I have to agree. Uh, so, actually, let's... Um... Let's come back to that uh, discussion. Uh, but if you don't mind, uh, could I ask you a question about uh, podcasting in general, Phil? Sure. So uh, Sam Harris has brought something up which relates exactly to the point that you were just making. And it's something that Seamus and I discussed before, which is uh, to what degree 
are you if you have a guest and you're having a discussion uh, to what degree are you supposed to kind of ask questions and like let listeners make their own minds up yeah. or if somebody says something batshit crazy uh, at what point do you jump in and uh, aggressively point out exactly how crazy this person really is um, so Sam Harris has talked a few times and he mentioned it before the Shapiro article uh, the piece you might have picked up uh, he's trying to walk the line between, uh, you know, how many things do I let slide just because, hey, I'm the host? Uh, and at what point do you jump in and argue? Because we've had, I remember Dan Arrell we had on, Seamus, yeah. and I think we disagreed with an awful lot of what Dan Arrell had to say. It, who was the, the author, the doctor that was a Christian with the scientism? Yes. Yes, I can't so remember, I remember his that name as well. Does he write the videos? <laughs> Yes, uh, Dan Arrell, um, he was one of the advocates of Antifa. hunting Nazis. Antifa. Uh, yes, he's an Antifa guy. Yeah, yeah so, uh, yeah, so uh, we had that discussion at the time, Seamus. So at what point do you ask questions and let your guests talk? Uh, and I think sometimes it's a good idea to let them talk because the more they do, the more they kind of hang themselves. So uh, you can just give them some rope. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I find it difficult sometimes phil have you ever come across that dilemma well i've only done a handful of interviews and mm. i actually got kind of chastised or scolded by listeners because i tend to be a enthusiastic easily excited guy when i'm talking about things i'm passionate about type of guy and i, and I can be long-winded uh -huh. and so i kept hearing the complaint that you're kind of monopolizing the conversation or you know maybe too eager or quick to butt in when you think of something you want to say. Uh -huh. Even with you guys today, I've been very careful to try to let you go and just out a sense of courtesy, let you guys finish your thoughts and not step uh, all over you. And mm -hmm. I think, um, and then also, you know, there's time constraints, thinking about how sidetracked you want to get. Like I know uh, you guys uh, are, um, Seamus rather brought up the God that wasn't there and mythicism. And yeah. I, I might have a couple little issues with like the God that wasn't there or with like zeitgeist, which, which I've criticized in the past or a oh, Asakaria yeah. as whatever her name is. So I, I'm on the fence about mythicism. I could easily believe that there was a real dude who uh, got crucified as many people did. And then they, um, you know, his, followers kind of came up with some story to deal with the fact that their messiah was a failed messiah and, or maybe a composite figure based on different historical figures or I can also easily believe that this was based on neighboring traditions and myths oh go ahead I'm sorry I was going to say it could be based on the life of Brian you know yeah <laughs> I, 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 I could go either way. I can see both right. arguments being val valid, either based on pre-existing or neighboring myths, uh, like all the different dying and rising gods, or that there may have been a historical guy, but I don't think even if there was that he walked on water or multiplied loaves and mm. fishes. And uh, But I, I found the approach with some people, like Acharya S. and Zeitgeist, to be a little intellectually dishonest, and they kind of push the envelope too far and try to make 
connections where they aren't. Where they're sure. Just redefining, uh, redefining Horus and other mythological figures to um, fit in the mold of Christ. There's plenty of dying and rising gods. You don't got to do right. that. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I, I would say with the, the latter two, definitely there's issues. Uh, there's definitely, I wouldn't say dishonest uh, history, but I would say that there's lack of um, backed history, uh, I guess would be the most uh, kind thing to say. Uh, yes. Uh, watching his, uh, I love watching his lectures. And oh, yeah. And I know some people view mythicism as being fringe, and I think he's a credit to the movement or the idea, sure. or whatever you want to call it, or the discipline or school of thought. By taking such a well-researched and sober and scholarly approach to it, like, so, I mean, all that, like, the free thought blogs crap aside and all the kind of dirt that's on the online forums and stuff. Mm. Well, yeah, that's... Him as a but scholar. That, him as a scholar. Right, really, really because that becomes a problem for anybody, any, unfortunately, at this point. Uh, you know, people, I, yeah, everyone has because to. atheists are eating their own at this point. You know, I mean, and that's that's a, a bigger issue, I think, that uh, the atheist movement needs to address. Uh, and I'm not saying that just to defend him. I'm just saying in general, that's a problem. I think that his uh, the the information he's brought to light is really important. Uh, yeah. Dr. Price is also done as well. And I really think this last book that uh, their last trilogy of books that Fitzgerald has brought to light is really important. Uh, because the last, if I remember correctly, uh, John, you can correct me when we talked to him. I think it's the last book of his trilogy Fitzgerald did um, uh, that it wasn't just the little fictional idea of let's go back in time, be like uh, back to the future kind of thing. Uh, but he also did like a scholarly idea of like, you know, investigating why uh, mythicism fails in uh, academia, uh, mm. which is really important uh, because so many colleges are dependent upon funds and dependent upon funds that come from, you know, Christian-based doctrine and such. So that is an issue for uh, mythicism. But uh, as far as it is a dogma for me, it's not really a dogma. I just feel that uh, the, the case has really been met for me. I think at the end of the day that uh, either A, there was never a Jesus and this was just what it is, you know, what Carrier and such have, have, you know, already put out there enough, or it was such a diluted case of different identities of different uh, messiahs or self-proclaimed messiahs because at that point, uh, which uh, the doctor. Yeah, the documentary uh, "Life of Brian" did a good job of of you're right of of putting forth that yes, this was not an uncommon thing at the time, and that uh, you know slap it could have been we could all sitting here talking about uh, why uh, Brian of Bartholomew was not a myth, you know a real historical person. It doesn't matter. The mm -hmm. name doesn't matter. In fact, if you look at the the uh, the Gospels, it doesn't matter because. They made the point of saying yes, and he'll his name will be called Emmanuel, but we call him Jesus. Emmanuel, yeah, <laughs> yes. exactly. Emmanuel aka Jesus. Moving on. Yeah, my uh, uh, 
so my, my take on the mythicist thing is that um, the argument that Jesus was a historic figure is just as corrosive to the faith as the mythicist argument. Because when I've seen, uh, isn't it, Bart Ehrman would yeah. uh, argue that position and, and others, uh, when they get down into the weeds with uh, Price and Carrier um, and these people, and you pick, um, so just to pick one story, um, you know the story when uh, the, there's a woman's about to be stoned for uh, prostitution and they're drawn right. in the sand? So that's a quite, I mean, of all the Bible stories, that one's quite effective and uh, quite nuanced. Um, and I remember uh, I always thought, uh, I had this idea that Jesus was drawing uh, the shapes and everyone could see their own sins. But it doesn't actually say that. That's kind of inferred, you know, because it's just a well-written story. Um, but then I think there's uh, even among the people who would promote historicity, there's an acceptance that that's a much later interpolation. Yep. And that was added a lot later on. So you end up having uh, Christian apologists. I remember seeing one argument along the lines of that this was a Catholic apologist arguing that, um, yes, this story was historically accurate. It really did happen. It wasn't in the first uh, versions of the Gospels. Uh, it was added later uh, during medieval times when the Holy Spirit inspired some medieval person to add this in. And, and at that point, when the, when the people defending historicity are asked to defend the Gospels uh, based on the actual historic evidence, even if you don't accept the mythicist position, forcing the apologists to do that can be just as corrosive as convincing someone of the mythicist position. Uh, that that's I mean from having read and watched all the debates that's my lasting impression from it yeah and uh, I was going to say one thing in, in kind of defense of carrier and mythicism mm. one thing that I find fascinating I've wanted to devote a whole episode to but haven't got around to it yet and maybe you guys can correct me you might know more than me about this but it's absolutely intriguing this idea that there was an earlier Jesus before Jesus mm. was this kind of celestial figure that people yep. believed in named Jesus who exist, existed like this belief existed centuries before Christianity yes. I think and it might have something to do with that whole the, the drama in the heavens that unfolds this whole kind of celestial or cosmic drama yes. kind of crucifixion in space or something but... yeah, I, I think it was very uh, ambiguous I don't Remember Jesus' name being especially, uh, and that it was carried like throughout different uh, sects in different uh, regions, and that it was a uh, sacrificial deity that was a celestial being that uh, was kind of like the moon, the moon going into the sun as a sacrifice every night to keep us all alive, kind of thing, and then it eventually grew into this something more. And then it was like kind of like a Passover thing, Passover, not literally, as in, you know, generational, you know, that, mm. uh, you know, you would add something on to this idea. Well, you know, not only does he fade into the sun, but, you know, he also kept, uh, you know, so-and-so from getting killed. 
You know, it was like, uh, that was my understanding of that kind of adoption yeah. of it. So. Yeah, and you can also make the argument that uh, essentially Paul was a mythicist. Um, yeah. So weren't, weren't Paul's letters written before the Gospels? And Paul doesn't really talk about uh, a... A historical Jesus who was an actual person who walked the earth right. he is, is describing a celestial Jesus. And uh, I think, don't, isn't it a somewhat mainstream belief that the uh, Pauline letters predate the Gospels or something like that? Yes, yes. Yeah. That's right. And then it was uh, docetism, the belief that Jesus wasn't even a corporeal being or didn't die physically. Mm. Very strange stuff. And that kind of ties into Gnosticism, with, which I'm absolutely fascinated with. If I was ever to become a Christian again, I'd want to be a, a Gnostic. I'd probably either be a Gnostic, a non-theistic Satanist, or a Buddhist. I don't know, but fascinated by uh, by Gnosticism. Uh, Buddhism is definitely more interesting than, than than Christianity, if you ask me at this point. So, or uh, I, I remember I when we, we talked with uh, Robert Price one time, Seamus, I was telling him that I, I know one person who's a Marcionite. Yeah, that's uh, right. So yeah. there's, um, yes, uh, Marson was, um, uh, he believed that, uh, not in the Trinity, that uh, Jesus was God and Jesus came to earth, but that that dude has got nothing to do with Yahweh and the Old Testament <laughs> guy. Yeah. That's right, that's right. It's kind of like that uh, Gnostic concept of the Demiurge, that the God who created this world was like a corrupt and evil kind of monster uh -huh. god and that the real true god lies beyond that and all matter is evil I that's right that, yes yeah. but I, at, at, at least I, it has some logic to it you know i mean it, it, it's pretty difficult to reconcile uh as robert price would say jesus meek and mild with uh the yahweh who smites people at the drop of a hat uh so if you believe in the trinity you know jesus did that jesus Drowned the whole world apart from Noah, uh, so yeah, it's it's pretty difficult to reconcile them. So Marcion had something going for him. Yeah, I, I kind of lean. God makes sense, and it doesn't pin the blame on us either. <laughs> mm. I kind of go a little further with the H.P. Lovecraft view of kind of like a, a floating blob, uh, doter, you know, Donald Trump-esque, floating out in space, <laughs> just uh, farting existence and into the void, and here we are. You know, I I'm a huge uh, Lovecraft fan. I did an oh, yeah. episode on the Necronomicon uh, around this past Halloween, and I was delighted when I first found out that uh, Robert M. Price is a huge Lovecraft. Oh yeah, yes. Lovecraft. You got to get. You got. Have you talked to to Price? I've never. I've never interviewed. Oh, him. you, you got to talk. I mean, he's uh, he, he's a wonderful person. I mean, uh, there's a huge gap uh, between me and him and. Uh, and John, as far as politically, uh, because yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that and I, that's unfortunate. And I, yeah. I we we whenever we talk to the guys on Mythicist Milwaukee, uh, we uh, talked about that at length. And it's it's unfortunate that uh, people want to take that uh, you know because somebody, I, I mean, really, I don't think it was so much. Uh, oh, I love Donald Trump. I was like, as far as he, as far as. Price goes, it was more, I fucking hate Hillary. Well, mm. you know, I'm on board with you there, brother. I don't like him or her either, you know? But that doesn't mean I'm going to, yeah, embrace him. 
You know, so I mean, there was a little bit of vibe, but he's still just a. I mean, as a scholar, uh, I don't think. I mean, he's one of those people that, you know, other scholars like. You know, he's probably forgotten more than I'll ever know. Right. You know what I mean? And, and just as a person, he, he's a really incredible. He's a good. He's a really good dude. He's so a, I. He can like. In the, in the, I mean, the most positive. You know. Yeah. Loving sense of the word. He's an yes. awesome geek. Just. Uh, yes, he is big wonderful teddy bear of a guy who knows all just a vast repository of information it's unbelievable and, and probably the, the the for me anyways the, the best episode and it might be the best episode as far as we've done uh john is the we did a tie-in between religion and and comic books and it was just a back and forth and just yeah. you know just just a bunch of just like you know like we're i mean literally like it got to like i don't know john was like looking at but me and Robert, like, you guys are two little kids, you know, just crawling <laughs> on the floor. Because, I mean, it was just like that kind of like adoration of, oh, this is great. You know what I'm talking about? Because, you know, for, for I mean, you do, I mean, to the millennials out there, you don't understand. Okay. You couldn't talk about X Men. You couldn't talk about Spider Man. You couldn't talk about Iron Man, you know, in high school and stuff without people looking at you like, uh, do you really want to get, get your ass kicked right now? You know, because, that wasn't cool, dude. Okay. You know, growing up, that was, you know, that was what I was into, you know, you know I mean? Literally subdivisions rush, you know, that's kind of like where we were. Right. You know, it just, it's, it's just a total 180 now, you know, and to actually talk with somebody that understands that, know that was just, oh, it was, it was awesome. I'm sorry. I'll shut up now. I remember the last, uh, <laughs> yeah, I remember the last interview you guys do with them. I think you could see, Oh yeah! Ocean of toys up on his yeah. or Dude, I got Transfer Z already. How did that happen? You know, because I'm a little kid, I don't understand. So, I, I I want that so bad on DVD. Oh man! Very yeah, good. Uh, great Mazinger. It's supposed to be like a special Shogun Warrior edition where it looks like he's got the the blue eyes well, and all that. Uh, okay, I know this is this is something. my dork side. No, no, no! I'm gonna get. I'm, I'm, I'm with you, man. I'm like up here, okay? I'm, I'm totally erect, all right? Um, so, where, where can we get the old Transor Z stuff? Because I, I want to know. I want that stuff, man. You know, really. John, John's looking at us like. What, no, I'm. Uh, I tell you, I'm enjoying this for a slightly different reason. Um, oh, sure. <laughs> here, no, here I've a, a, I've another pendulette-based uh, anecdote to explain why. Okay. So. I remember um, there was an interview once with uh, Penn Gillette when he was asked something about, I can't remember which game it was. It might have been, uh, it was a while ago, it might have been Dungeons and Dragons or something like that. Um, but he was asked um, about uh, the phenomenon of uh, gaming and all these teenagers spending so, uh, so many hours in front of PlayStations and Xboxes or whatever, and parents getting very wonder- worried about that. Um, and he basically said, look, shut the fuck up. When when I was younger, I was into all this stuff and my yeah. parents tried to tell me, why aren't you listening to classical music? And they just didn't understand that there's a whole world there. And uh, it's the same now. Your kids are playing whatever games they happen to be playing. Right. And there's a whole big world behind that. And they're learning about that world. And that's an interesting thing for them to learn about. And it's not your taste or it's not your interest because you're 40 and gray. Uh, But just shut the fuck up. So uh, around that time, I've got four kids. And around that time, I had a a conversation with my wife along the lines of, 
why are our kids start talking about fucking Pokemon like a bunch of morons? What is wrong with our kids? Uh, and then Pendulet eased my concerns by saying, look, you don't have to understand it. There's just a whole big world there. And uh, it's an interesting thing for them to learn about. So, yes, uh, I'm now very relaxed about all this stuff. Uh, now that I'm uh, revealing myself to be a, a geek, I might as well just you know, go whole hog. I think before I, was, I came on to talk with you guys, I was playing a game called Conan Exiles on Steam. An open Conan? Yeah. C-O-N-A-N? Yeah, like the Barbarian. The, the Barbarian, yeah. It's an open world survival game where you make a character, basically very bloody, very gory. Uh, you start off naked on a cross and Conan cuts you down. And you literally yeah. have to scavenge for rocks and twigs and build your own like uh, shelter and your own crude weapons. It ends up where you can build massive fortresses, craft steel armor and and other people can kill you and take all your stuff. But uh, if you're on a cross, was that a hidden message? <laughs> what happened? If you're on a cross, was that a hidden oh, message? Oh, I don't know. But it's funny because I'm a, a bit of a Conan geek too. Robert E. Howard, the original, the, the author of uh, the Conan stories. And uh, mm -hmm. Conan was crucified in one or two of the original stories. Oh, really? And That's interesting. So in the first movie too. Right. The tree of Wo Falsa Doom it's, has him crucified. Uh, is this the uh, Arnold the movie? Yeah. Movie. Mm. With, uh, James Earl Jones says. Uh, yeah. James Earl Jones. That's right. Tree of Woe. <laughs> <laughs> and he bites the vulture, whatever it is, the buzzard by the neck. Uh, those, those are good. Those are really good films. They oh, really work. That stuff. I love yeah. sword and sorcery, fantasy stuff, and sci-fi too. Star Wars, all that crap. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, are you excited about the new Lord of the Rings stuff coming out, or not? I didn't even hear about it. What is it? Amazon is going to do, actually, episodic uh, Lord of the Rings So, uh, not uh, not a new narrative, just a, a, a series version of the same story? Uh, it sounds like uh, some of the similar... So, yeah, I'll never pronounce this right. Silmarillion stories, possibly. Oh. Mm. possibly make him out uh so yeah i'm hoping that's what is actually because it's been kind of up in the air as to what uh the cho the children of heron is that if i'm getting it right might be one of the the starting points uh but uh it's definitely gonna happen i guess uh i know that there's been a little bit of playback between the estate of tolkien uh mm. i i i think and i could have again I, I could be wrong i read once upon a time that uh christopher tolkien who i believe is his grandson who put out some of the like the new editions of books and such uh that some of the other family fought him afterwards for the estate so i don't know if this is part of that uh, i hope not because i thought he really did a good job of you know collecting his uh his grandfather's work and adding to it a bit to make it a, a more cohesive narrative so I'm hoping that uh, whatever comes forward isn't uh, without him, because uh, yeah. You know. Silmarillion, uh, a posthumous thing, was that released after uh, Toby? Yeah, but it it was pretty much he had put it together. Uh, if you've ever looked into Tolkien, uh, wow, what a guy! Uh, so yeah. 
basically, he wanted to have a backstop uh, to his stories before he put his stories forward. And for those uh, who don't know, basically, uh, this has been like referred to as the Elfish Bible, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, very uh, Greek-ish uh, as far as some of the, myth- the mythos that it uh, and Norris. Obviously, because he was very influenced by uh, Grendel and such. To, I thought some of the language may have been influenced by yeah. Danish or something like that. Oh, yeah, like uh, Beowulf. Uh, he mm. uh, he was big on Beowulf and all the uh, Thor and Odin and all those. Uh, basically, this was, which uh, Lord of the Rings, my understanding was kind of, you know, this guy being an Englishman looking around saying, why don't we have our own? Odin, why don't we have our own Zeus? You know, yes, which was, yeah, which was a lot of what Frodo went through. It was kind of very uh, projective, you know, of the suffering and carrying of the ring and carrying this burden of PSD, basically, which what it was for him, unfortunately. Uh, he was in World War One and uh, talked about extensively about shell shock and which it really was back in those since that PSD. So, uh, and the whole uh, industrial age coming about was also part of that. Right. So, I'm a huge Tolkien fan, so. Yeah, I think I found out about Tolkien through, uh, through Led Zeppelin. Oh, yeah. Yes. Well, don't even talk about Zeppelin, man, because that's yeah, my... That's, that's it. My, you need a whole other R for that. Yeah, that's Battle of Evermore, Ramble On. All yeah, this, uh, um, you, you see all this, uh, you know, stuff behind <laughs> me. Well, uh, unfortunately, and my daughter still laments about it for many. I used to have the object, the object, you know, from presents. Uh, oh, right over here. Okay. Yeah, she broke it, unfortunately, and she's still upset about it. So, yeah, I'm a huge, huge Paige fan. I mean, that's the whole reason I pick up a guitar. Uh, I can go on. Forever about Led Zeppelin. That's uh, yeah, yeah. the Crowley tie-in. We were talking about Crowley earlier. That's another. Yeah, I don't believe in the supernatural or anything like that. No. I'm still fascinated by the account. Absolutely, I'm absolutely fascinated by uh, Crowley. I have a whole well, okay, on YouTube of Crowley stuff. Well, well, that I can talk to you about for hours, and if you want to, we will. Yeah. But and, and I wanted to ask this in our last uh, in the other side of the episode because I think uh, it should be kind of. Maybe something to explore, John. Wink, wink. Uh, for <laughs> question, questions to ask uh, guests further. So you came from religion. Now you're not. If you could make it real, what would any of that mythology or, you know, whatever you wish it to be, what would you wish it to be real now that you could actually, you know, make it real? Wow. Yeah. That is amazing question and now i'm thinking about it i'm like going through my head okay this is cool this is cool but i'm like shit's gonna die side too because i'm thinking about like, right i'm thinking about norse mythology i'm like wow i can be a warrior and live and fight forever but then i'm like shit i gotta fight forever and get chopped up over and over again and then eventually the the fenris wolf and the fucking midgard serpent i gotta kill the gods and everything's gotta turn to shit and it's like you know it's like and then it's like, okay, well, what if, just because I want to live forever, let's make uh, the religion of my childhood true, Christianity. Then I'm like, oh, sh- I mean, 
what's heaven like? What's it mean to live forever? Is that gonna get fucking boring after? I you know what I think. Maybe if I had to, I might go uh, back to you know way back into my uh, pagan Italian roots, or even the, cult, <laughs> the Celts. Uh, probably poly, some kind of polytheism. Not necessarily. I think it's weird how Norse mythology has an end. The gods have an expiration date. You know when Ragnarok yeah. comes, mm -hmm. everything. And I think maybe it was a later Christian edition, but there's almost like um, it starts over after the death of the gods, almost like an Adam and Eve type of thing. Might have something to do with Baldur, I forget. But uh, what I love about like the ancient classical religion or whatever about you know Roman Greek pantheon is it's so colorful and diverse, and there's a god for like everything and the gods also are very human and i think right. maybe maybe it might be the the greco-roman gods uh maybe i i have a special affinity for dionysus i'm a huge doors fan huge Jim yeah fan same here love Di uh, i can't even explain it I i'm such a devout doors fan and jim was crazy about dionysus and then um by reading the doors, I got into like uh, Arthur Rimbaud and Baudelaire and Joseph Campbell and Kerouac and all this stuff, and uh, Nietzsche or Nietzsche. And uh, yeah. he was big into uh, Dionysus too, the Apollonian versus the Dionysian. So maybe the Greek or Roman gods. I might go with that. I think. But they also had beginning and ends because they had the Titans before them. Oh, uh, yeah. The right? One was eating their children and killing their children. Right. <laughs> So they had to slay the Titans to take over. So, so there was this kind of. Um, oh, we lost. Did we lose John? Okay, there you're still there. Still here. Yeah, there's still this bit of attrition through gods, uh, as far as the pantheon before you know before the Norris, uh, which I, although I think the Norris kind of took it to a different level. Uh, it, it was definitely. Uh, I'm glad you said that because that that is really interesting. So I, I don't know. Do we all want to bear that cross right now or? Not. Yeah, <laughs> uh, well, I'll, I'll, uh, I've got a quick answer to that. I'll go okay. for Valhalla before Catherine or Catholic heaven any day. So uh, yes, uh, uh, yeah, uh, the idea of hanging around on a cloud with Mother Teresa and Padre Pio yeah. doesn't seem to hold the same appeal as Valhalla. I want to see you guys think about this because this is something that dawned on me. I think while I started writing that book. I gave up on, you know, that led to the podcast. Don't let that happen, man. Don't let it, don't give up on it. Yeah, don't give up on it. Don't. When I was younger, like I was saying, you know, I had those dark parts of the soul where I could think of nothing more terrifying than the idea of there not being a God or a heaven. But then I, I, I kind of came, I kind of dubbed it the horror of eternity. And I thought about how do you wrap your mind around existing forever? That almost seems nightmarish, existing without end. Yes. And the only workaround I could think is if there was some safety mechanism that continually kept you in the present and kept you from going absolutely mad. Mm. You know, after a while, I mean, you know, after what, a million years or probably not even a fraction of that. Yeah, I remember uh, Hitchens made the same point after he got sick um, that he said, you know, he feels like he's at the party and... He has to leave early, and yeah. the party's going on without him. Right. Uh, but uh, almost worse than having to leave the party when it's going on without him is the idea that uh, you might be stuck in a party, and you can never leave, and you can never go to sleep, 
and you have to stay in the same party forever. That's kind of terrifying too. Uh, even a, imagine even a great party, the type you don't want to end. I'm the type uh-huh. that stays up in parties. I watch everyone go to sleep or leave, and I'm like, where's everyone going? But imagine that. You could never go to sleep, and the party never ended. Uh-huh. Stuck there with the same people in the same house or whatever. Indeed. Yeah, yeah when uh, when the Bible describes uh, heaven or when Christian apologists describe heaven, I always think, look, you really haven't thought this through. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I I would say twofold on that that uh, the first part first idea of immortality uh, there's been some really good uh, uh, vampiral lore written about that uh, basically being stuck and bored and just you know uh, and I can't remember yeah and there there was another author and I can't remember who who wrote this idea was that basically they almost as in the vampire was beg for somebody to kill them because something about the curse that was on them, they couldn't kill themselves. You know, so it was just kind of like you're trapped and you just wanted somebody to, to kill them. And also the uh, caveat was that, uh, caveat, sorry, that uh, there was only one way to kill that person Every and every vampire was different. So they had to wait for somebody to find that one Achilles heel to kill them. And it was, yeah. So imagine that being even worse i remember it as a, as a young age even sitting around at the dinner table and and we we're talking about different things and talking about heaven and stuff i'm like well if it's not a challenge if it's all just what you want why would i want to go there and true too it's like a lot of people including myself bitch about the iniquity of this life and the horrors of this life rightly i think but i do think there's something to the idea that suffering lets you draw a contrast to not suffering. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it lets you appreciate the good more. I think there is mm-hmm. to that, even though I am one of those people who well used the argument of uh, the existence of evil is one of the reasons why I doubt the existence of a benign creator or whatever. I can't really, For sure. can't really jive uh, reconcile tsunamis and birth defects and all that with uh, a loving God. Yep. Can you guys I quite agree. Me? You can still hear me? Yeah, yes, we can, can hear you well, Pope. Video froze a bit, but we can hear you. Got a little Max Headroom uh, on you? That's all right. I'm spilling rum and coke all over myself. Okay, <laughs> I'm getting a bit saucy. If you, if you drink whiskey, it'd be easier. <laughs> I do drink whiskey. So Jack, probably uh, Jack Daniels and Captain Morgan are probably my two favorite things. We won't hold that against you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't want to know some of the stuff I drink. I'll go to uh, parties and I'll, I'll drink shit that would, that would just make you want to shame me for all eternity. Uh, <laughs> fucking Mike's Hard Lemonade and uh. fucking, uh, I, I don't even want to say some of the stuff. I've had like, mm-hmm. female friends tell me I drink like a girl. Some of the stuff I'll drink. In my <laughs> I was gonna say, if you want to check your mad card, that's fine. Yeah. It's all right. <laughs> that, that, and the fact that I'm not into sports. I mean, it's not, it's not looking good. And the fact, you know, but uh, eh, I got the construction thing. I am. That's painful, true. I am painfully straight mm-hmm. because it's kind of like a Fraser Crane thing. 
Well, you're just you're just one of the you're just one of the guys from YMCA. That's all. Oh damn! <laughs> uh, am, I, am I the Indian? Or which one am I? Now you're the construction worker. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's It's okay. I, I don't understand why uh, having some sort of uh, interest in literature and other things yeah. makes you gay. Yeah. yeah, that that makes you gay. And there's you know, plenty of gay dudes who are in the sports and there's gay right. sports players. So you never know. Right. And, and again, I don't take offense to it. I have friends and very close family that are gay. And I'm like, I'm very so, pro, uh, yeah, I have a close family member is gay too. I'm very pro gay, very pro LGBT yeah. rights. I'm, I always get too tired at the end of that acronym to add the Q. They always add. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, that's okay. They'll, they'll they'll add another letter tomorrow. That's my argument. It's like seriously, you know. I mean, at the end of the day, we're have... it's, like, <laughs> it's like power to you, but what okay. the hell's going on? Yeah, the LGBT alphabet. You know, it's just like, really? Come on. Can we just... Three letters is fine. Just, just, you know, make it simple. Come on. Seriously. It's like, as long so. as you're consenting adults, sleep with whoever you want to sleep with. And yeah. that's the yes, the worst, that. the worst thing you can do, according to uh, the ev- evangelicals and others, is give somebody an orgasm. <laughs> it, especially if it's of the same sex. So... Yeah. Yeah, that's another one where the cafeteria Catholicism thing comes in. Oh, the New Testament, this is a new start. We're New Testament people, not, you know, Old Testament people. But when it comes to the gays, often you'll find, oh, that's, you know, we'll, we'll still, uh, you know, take a, a literal interpretation of that or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like Leviticus or whatever. But, yeah. yeah. But if you read Leviticus, then... Um... Let's see. Slavery is okay, yep. and going to Red Lobster is bad. Shellfish can't no. Yeah. Mixed fabrics or whatever. Right. Um, so I won't have anything said about Leviticus. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Which one is Leviticus? What's that exact? Uh, it says, um, "I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not make tattoo marks on thy skin." Oh, that is the best. <laughs> I love that. Oh my God! And that, I think you guys might have been talking about it with Bob Price about. Um, I've always found it fascinating about how you know it seems like there's these clear rules that seem to be these moral rules. You know, you can't lay with another man. You can't mark your skin. This and that. End of story. But these actually may have been ways that the ancient Jews were trying to differ them, differentiate themselves from their pagan mm. neighbors. Yeah. I've heard about, like, there may have been, like, gender-bending priests and weird fertility codes, <laughs> and that might be part of the prohibition against homosexuality. So it might not be that they actually thought homosexuality in, a, in and of itself is as, is as bad as we interpret them as thinking it is. It could be they were just trying to remove themselves from these neighboring practices. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know, but still, it's telling you not to do it. So. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> it's all excuses. That's all it is. Yeah. You know, they just you know you put it in print that it, it's something you could refer to later and say, "I wouldn't do that." It's written right here, right? Yeah. I I obviously wouldn't do that. 
So I, I definitely got a, a glow. I, I definitely drank a fair amount of booze. Well, that's because you're a newbie to the show. So <laughs> this is what we do every time. All right. Awesome. Step up to the plate. Right. Well, you're my kind of guys, man. I, I don't think I've ever done an interview without drinking. Uh, and in fairness, Seamus, I think we've only had one episode where we listened back afterwards and said, Uh-oh. no, we can't put that out. We're just that far too drunk. Was that me and you both? That was uh, Both, definitely both of us. Yeah. That it was, was just it was, incomprehensible. It was a year ago. We did a uh, prediction episode. We're like, yeah, let's do like, you know, you know, New Year's Eve. We'll make some predictions. All right. But it like, I think, I think what really did it in was we, it went too long. Mm. And the longer we went, the more we drank and the more we didn't make sense. Uh, it was really bad. Both of us were like, you know, at first it was like, you know, uh, I think I think part of that episode was really bad. I think I think some of those predictions might not turn out to be OK. <laughs> uh, yeah, Matt, I, I agree with that part. Um, in fact, I, 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 I would say that uh, some of that episode uh, might have been a little bit diatribe and might, you know been a little bit uh, too too much you know yeah too much of the same too much of the same yeah 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 you were drunk yeah i was too okay all right uh. that's a scary thing about being <laughs> inebriated you feel like you're being charming and that you're being mm. uh you know very well spoken or whatever then you'll listen back to it holy shit but um i, I always have this problem where my tongue goes before my brain so like i can honestly say right now i'm sober okay, okay. My tongue, though, is not. So sometimes it'll catch my, yeah, my hands will too, apparently. Uh, it'll catch myself up and I sound like I'm drunk. But I'm really not. I can honestly say that my brain is, is fine. I am not quite inebriated yet. So yeah, My New England accent always tends to get thicker. The more <laughs> I'm drunk, I guess. Yeah, and, and the other thing is sometimes John will sound more English. And I'll sound more Irish. And I'll sound more Irish. So, yeah, so it'll kind of like play off each other. So, you know, yeah, it actually works pretty well for me because, you know, the, the chicks take the Irish accent over the English. It's a good, so. It is a good accent. Once in a while I can do an Irish accent, but it's a 50-50 gamble. Sometimes it comes out like an Indian accent. That's great. Lilt a little bit, you know, the wrong way. and It is a great accent, though. Yeah, so I'm trying to think. I mean, we've been going for over an hour now. I mean, we could talk about one or two more things. It's up to uh, it's up to you guys. What do you think? I, I leave it up to John what we can talk about because he's the one looking at uh, a later time than we are. So oh, that's true. That's true. Uh, well, could I make a suggestion then? Um, it would uh, it would be uh, great, I think, to talk a few about a few more issues. So uh, I'm also aware that uh, the listeners might struggle to get through to a, a two-hour episode, let's say. Uh, so um, how about we uh, we break now and make an arrangement to come back uh, some other day, and uh, we can pick up on those other issues another time. Okay. Yeah, no, I had a great time with you guys. I don't see any reason why not to, uh, you know, do this again either. Definitely. Show you guys on this show again, or uh, you know, both. Okay. Well, uh, I've never been this drunk during an interview before. 
<laughs> success, Jim. Success. We did it. <laughs> Woohoo! That's a wonderful performance. Well done. You did. You did very well. So, I, I think I, I again. I have this tongue thing. It just like it goes. So yeah, I sound much more drunker than I am. I'm just like literally just now like deciding. Okay, I might have had too much. You know what I mean? It, it, you, you get that feeling where your your brain, your body is fine, but your tongue goes. That's how I am That's usually. So how I am, but right now I'm like, oh. I just I'm like glowing almost, and I feel <laughs> like I feel good, but I'm afraid like I wouldn't be able to talk about something or you know respond properly. Okay, well, thanks for uh, coming on, guys, and thanks for having me on uh, the show. It was great. It was, that a, was a lot of fun. Appreciate it. Was. It was. And uh, we'll do it again soon. Did you guys want to uh, plug anything, give any links or anything like that? Yeah, John. Uh, no, no, just the uh, link to thefreethoughtprofit.com. I think that's it. You got anything, Seamus? Uh, that's about it. Uh, yeah, we, man. Yeah, just check out the podcast. We're on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, both of us are on uh, Twitter. John's at uh, John Hamill 151. I'm sure he'll explain why 151 if you ask him. I'm at the FT Profit. Uh, and whenever I close the show, I always say that the freedom of thought can only be given away, not taken away. Excellent. So. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. Hopefully, we'll do this. Thank you. Soon. Absolutely. Thanks. Right. Bye, folks. Bye. Bye.